to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself Nanotechnology is manufacturing with atoms. William Powell. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be The Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music, iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel and Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, I'm Ruhani, the co-host for today's show, along with Hannah. And today's show is all about nanotechnology. In segment two, Hannah will be talking about the diverse ways nanotechnology can be used in medicine. In segment three, Kirti will be sharing the different types of science fiction she enjoys. And right now, I'll be talking about nanotechnology and how it's used as cancer treatment specifically. So let's get started. So for some background about nanotechnology. Well, nanotechnology refers to the branch of science and engineering devoted to designing, producing, and using structures, devices, and systems by manipulating atoms and molecules at the size of 100 nanometers, which is basically 100 millionth of a millimeter or less. So yeah, this is definitely something you can only see under a very high-functioning microscope. Now, how is nanotechnology used in cancer treatment? Well, nanotechnology diagnoses and treats the disease at a very tiny level by using nanoparticles and their small size helps them locate and kill cancer, and they will likely, likely be the future of medicine. And a champion of this thought is computer scientist Ralph Markle, one of the founders of public key cryptography. He said, if we can reduce the cost and improve the quality of medical technology through advances in nanotechnology, we can more widely address the medical conditions that are prevalent and reduce the level of human suffering. And I really don't think he's wrong. See, doctors have used nanotechnology to treat cancer for a while, since 1981. And as of 2022, there are two approved treatments 
Braxane and Doxil, which are devised to deliver chemotherapy drugs. Now, these nanotechnology treatments are associated with side effects like weight loss, nausea, and diarrhea, but these problems may just be from the chemotherapy drugs they contain. So let's take, for example, imaging tests like x-rays, CT scans, and MRIs that are helped to diagnose cancer. These tests can find the disease only once it's big enough to see. By then, the cancer could have spread to other parts of the body. And these cans also can't show whether a tumor is, a, is cancerous or benign, and a biopsy, biopsy usually has to be done. But this is also where nanotechnology comes in. So because of its small size, nanotechnology can detect changes in a very small number of cells. It can tell the difference between normal and cancer cells, and it can get to cancer at its earliest stages when the cells have just started to divide and the cancer is much, much easier to cure. So nanotechnology can also make tumors easier to see on imaging tests, and doctors can coat these nanoparticles with antibodies to help them find and stick to the cancer cells. And particles can also be coated with substances that send out a signal when they find cancer. For example, nanoparticles made from iron oxide bind to cancer cells and send off a strong signal that lights up the cancer in MRI scans. Now, how else can it be used? Well, nanotechnology can also help doctors locate cancer in blood or tissue samples. It can spot pieces of cancer cells or DNA that are so minuscule that we wouldn't be able to see it anywhere else. Now for treatment. Nanotechnology helps to make cancer treatment safer and more precise. And like I said, many people do call it the future of medicine. So there are different nanoparticles and some of them are specifically designed to deliver medicines um, like chemotherapy straight to the tumor, as I mentioned, um, like doxane and the broxyl. So they don't release the medicine, medicine until they reach it. And this stops the drugs from damaging healthy tissues around the tumor, which is usually a huge problem and side effect associated with chemotherapy. And the small size of nanoparticles allows them to deliver medicines into areas of the body that would normally be very hard to reach. And an example of this is the blood-brain barrier, which prevents toxic substances, such as side effects from chemo, from getting into the brain. And nanoparticles are small enough to cross this barrier, which makes them a very useful treatment for brain tumors. And I really do hope that the future of medicine is positively impacted by this technology. Hopefully, cancer is one step closer to getting eradicated. And as we saw with COVID, we were initially unequipped to handle other viruses. So in the next segment, Hannah will be expanding on the science behind nanotechnology and how it's specifically used against all of these terrible diseases. Now, this is it for this segment, but Be The Star You Are will be hosting a booth at the September 24th Parent Wine Festival. We are seeking sponsors. Please contact us through our website, www.bethestarur.org if you would like to sponsor a volunteer. It's going to be very fun. Make sure you stay tuned for our next segment where we will hear from Hannah about nanotechnology. And we want to hear your thoughts and we want to answer your questions. So email us at btsyateenradio@gmail.com. That is btsyateenradio@gmail.com. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at www.btsyateenradio.com.
btsya.com. You can get involved with the Be The Star You Are charity, buy books and t-shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter, and make a donation to Be The Star You Are. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit be the star you are.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are dot org. Be the lucky star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are 501c3 charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm your host, Hannah Sahota, here with my co-host, Ruhani. 
Today's show is about nanotechnology, and I'll be talking about how exactly scientists have utilized nanotechnology to fight diseases. Recently, there has been a plethora of worldwide health concerns that have captured the complete focus and attention of the medical community, such as Ebola, COVID-19, monkeypox, and more. The past few weeks, we've discussed these topics together, women's reproductive health, COVID-19, public health, machines in medicine, but today we will be looking through a microscope into the topic of nanotechnology. Specifically, how can nanotechnology provide safer and more efficient applications for treating human diseases and illness? Let's discuss. Since its creation and research in 1981, nanotechnology has advanced exponentially, allowing humans to manipulate atoms down to the smallest possible size, making it a very valuable tool for processes like surgery and non-invasive extraction. As of today, nanotechnology can help cure or treat major illnesses and diseases such as cancer, infectious diseases such as HIV, AIDS, Ebola, influenza, and even cardiovascular disease, in addition to diabetes, and a plethora of neurological disorders. Today, I will be discussing the three main methods used to treat and manage human diseases, gene delivery, drug delivery, and intracellular imaging. Some of this is from my own research, so please take it with a pinch of salt. Gene delivery is a nanomedicine method used for the treatment and prevention of genetic disorders. This method corrects defective genes responsible for disease development with the transfer of repaired genes or the replacements of incorrect ones. Gene delivery uses nanoparticles, which has been proven to be the most promising vehicles for clinical gene therapy due to their malleable size, shape, surface, and biological behaviors. Gene delivery has a total of three main viable methods, viral vectors, non-viral vectors, and the direct insertion of genetic materials into body tissue. Viral vectors are genetic material vectors that deliver new, modified genes through infected cells, and viruses can be modified to avoid diseases. These vectors are ingrained into the target human cell or tissue, and we are able to put the new gene into a chromosome. According to Brown, Jenkins, and Campbell's recent research, viral vectors have generally proved efficient tools for gene delivery to target cells and tissue, which is a critical aspect of achieving therapeutic efficacy. Furthermore, viral vector expression cassettes can be engineered with elements to enhance target specificity and increase transgene expression. These features have been explored and exploited to develop efficient methods for the delivery of genes of interest into mammalian cells. Viral vectors can be classified into a few types of groups. Adenovirus, which deals with DS, DNA. Retrovirus, which deals with RNA. Lentivirus, which encapsulates RNA. Herpes viral vector, DS, DNA. For all of my listeners who don't know what DNA or RNA is, I'll quickly clarify. DNA, defined as deoxyribonucleic acid, is an organic chemical that contains genetic information 
and instruction for protein synthesis, and is found in the cells of almost all organisms. DNA is responsible for genetic conditions, features, and inherent physical traits. RNA is slightly different, defined as only ribonucleic acid, and is an acid present in all cells that have a very similar structure to DNA. But instead of having two strands, which many of you may have seen in pictorial representations, it only has one strand. Viral vectors are, in theory, a good method, but it is not the best due to its difficulty in executing, along with the possibility of ne negative modifications to a gene. Next, I will discuss non-viral vectors, which are vectors based on nanoparticles. Some examples of this are liposomes or dendromeres, which are 50 to 500 nanometers long and are both in vitro and in vivo, which means that these vectors can occur in living organisms and even outside of living organisms, such as curated in um, gel or maybe lab-made or in test tubes. Uh, according to Dan Chen Gao's PMC article, non-viral vectors have been a fast-paced research topic in gene delivery, such as polymers, lipids, inorganic particles, and combination of different types. Although non-viral vectors are low in their cytotoxicity, immunogenicity, and mutagenesis, attracting more and more researchers to explore this promising delivery system, they do not carry ideal characteristics and have faced critical challenges, including gene transfer efficiency, specificity, gene expression duration, and overall safety. Non-viral vectors are not usually the traditional method, with many doctors or researchers preferring to use the more conventional viral vectors. But with further research of all these ideal qualities in non-viral vectors, this can be safely and effectively applied to real-world applications. Next, I will be discussing the third method often used in treating disease through nanotechnology, which is direct insertion. Direct insertion is one of the most straightforward methods I will talk about, but it is very difficult to make the insertion as precise as the other methods of viral and non-viral -vec non vectors in gene therapy. Direct insertion inserts genetic materials into the targeted diseases or tissues in order to acquire desired results, such as collecting information for a diagnosis or attempting to medicate or kill a disease through cellular tissue. This method uses gene guns, which may sound big and large, but are actually extremely small having a size around 100 to 500 nanometers. These guns are used for the delivery of exogenous DNA, RNA, or even protein to cells through coating these genes of interest with a heavy metal, and then firing these micro projectiles into cells through mechanical force. Gene guns are effective for most cells, but are not extremely accurate because they introduce DNA randomly into the desired cells and cannot target specific gen genomes, which scientists are working to rectify. So a little summary in case anyone did not understand what I just said, because it is a very lengthy process. So the gene gun has the desired DNA, RNA, or proteins, 
and then a DNA coated with gold or medical particles is fired from the gun. And this microparticle is then inserted into the target cells by force. So these three methods are entailed in the method of gene delivery, which focus on genetic modification and ed editing to rectify diseases and illnesses. Another method I mentioned was drug delivery, which I will talk about now. Drug delivery is a method of specific drug targeting used in diseased or inflamed tissues using specific nanotechnology products. This method takes advantage of the distinct physical and anatomical features of the diseased tissues and allows for the proper regulation and distribution of drugs to the desired cells. If executed properly, drug delivery could result in more stability and absorption of drugs in diseased tissues and longer effects of treatment with little resistance from the body. The important technological advances of nanotech particles used as drug carriers are high stability, high carrier capacity, feasibility of incorporation of both hydrophilic and hydrophobic substances, which means that they have an affinity to water or they don't have an affinity to water. And in addition, feasibility of variable routes of administration, including oral application and even inhalation. Drug delivery is very promising, but has the issue of availability and testing since nanomedicine is still in the process of being developed, which, if done incorrectly, can result in negative effects in juxtaposition to the intended benefits, especially regarding neurological disorders. The third and last method is intracellular imaging. Intracellular imaging occurs through the attachment of QDs, or synthetic chromophores, to the targeted molecules. QDs, I should clarify, are quantum dots, which in turn are special nanoparticles. Intracellular imaging allows biochemical processes to be observed and investigated very accurately and helps with diagnosis and treatment, especially for degenerative human diseases. This method uses nanosensors, which scope out DNA and relies on bioluminescence resonance energy transfer for identification and accuracy. Gene delivery, drug delivery, and intracellular imaging are all effective and promising ways to treat and diagnose previously difficult diseases. There are worries regarding the toxicity and potential side effects of these methods, but more research and experimental testing will eventually provide safer execution of these nanotechnology methods. Aiming for more accuracy towards targeted, diseased, diseased and infected cells should be a priority, along with more accessibility to these tools for the general public. Wow, Hannah, that was so much information and it was so useful to learn about. Um, I also talked about nanotechnology being used in cancer treatments. And I just think it's amazing how technology is evolving and how we might be able to eradicate, you know, diseases like cancer. Yeah, you're totally right. The applications, especially with drug delivery, it holds very high promise for degenerative diseases like leukemia and maybe even um, brain diseases, which 
is notorious for being very, very hard to treat. Yep, exactly. And actually, I had a question about drug delivery. Um, When drug delivery occurs, how do the nanoparticles know where to target the human body? That's a great question. Like when I was researching and when I was in the lab, I was asking this myself. Um, These particles are specifically engineered so that they are attracted to disease cells, which allows direct treatment of these desired cells. So this technique reduces damage to healthy cells in the body and allows for earlier detection of disease. That's why the DNA, RNA, and proteins are covered in a metallic cover in order to make it more accurate. Let's say in a lab situation or if we're treating a patient with leukemia or with a specific cellular um, tissue disease, we don't want their healthy cells to be attacked as well because that would just damage their body. Right, yeah, it'll go straight to the actual tumor, which is, like, I think majority of the reason why chemotherapy is so, like, terrible on people is because they unfortunately damage, like, healthier parts of our body. Yeah, and I feel like now we're getting a more precise precise version of chemotherapy because chemotherapy really deals with radiation and it goes to the entire body because cancer spreads so fast. But Mm. if we apply maybe non-viral vectors for non-invasive treatment and maybe combine it with other methods like drug delivery, that could really be a progression in the medical field. Like it could, it could essentially treat and maybe even cure cancer, which is why like, it's so significant in the medical fields right now. Do you think we could see that in our lifetime? Maybe, maybe not. Nanotechnology was invented in 1981, and now look where we are. You know, nanotechnology, nanoparticles, you can find them in almost any product nowadays. So you never know. That's true. It's not just using like medical treatment. Like I know the U.S. military also uses nanotechnology um, for like their body armor and stuff, which I thought was like really cool. No, exactly. It's used in body armor. It can be used in engineering, mechanics, even everyday products like maybe like sun cream or it's used everywhere. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. And I'm just wondering if there's like any challenges in nanotechnology, what do you think? Uh, Nanotechnology is a very, very promising field, but just like any other form of new technology or medical development, there are many factors one has to consider when enacting these new different methods in a a clinical setting, such as uh, biological challenges, biocompatibility and safety, the most important is the safety of your patient, large-scale manufacturing, many of these nanotechnology parts or maybe machines or even like minuscule technology. It takes it takes a very precise and like costly time to build. So that is also a problem of production. And on the on that topic of production, When nanotechnology is developed, there's also the issue of government regulations uh, and intellectual property and trade regs. Like, how how are we going to manage this new technology? Where is it going to be applied? What are the the limits? Because a lot of, you know, ethics comes into play. Because for some people, because this is such a new revolutionary idea. 
And the most, I feel like the most, um, how do I say this? The most challenging part of nanotechnology is, is in the people with accessibility because a lot of times it's extremely expensive. Like let's take, let's take insulin for example, for diabetes. It's produced at for you, it costs, let's say $10 to make insulin, but it's sold off for like $100, $150 or maybe even more. So it's a real, real problem, especially, especially in pharmacies in the medical industry. Yeah, and it's really sad because I remember reading a few weeks ago how there was like a law that would lower insulin prices and that was that was blocked, I think, by the Senate. Yeah, because exa- all of these big pharmaceutical companies, they're making I, throughout 2020, I think um, they increased by five billion dollars because of all of the masks, the pills the new medication and vaccines they were selling. So all of this profit obviously is very beneficial to their companies, but with our healthcare system, it's not really prioritizing people who who need this treatment. Yeah, but it's extremely unfair. And, you know, all these scientists are making these big ventures and they're unable to help society in a way. I mean, at a large scale, yes, but like you said, there's so many people who are left out from you know, much needed treatment. Exactly. But um, I, I'm glad to see that at least bills are being like put into the House in the Senate because I remember, uh, I think it, 2016, it wouldn't even make it to the House. There was one on insulin and there was another one on uh, contraceptives, I remember. And it didn't even make it to the House of lowering the prices of like Plan B or insulin, you know, like necessary aspects of life. So I feel like uh, we're making a little, at least a little bit of progress. Yeah. And it's really just thanks to all these like, you know, amazing scientists who are putting in the research and the efforts. And do you see yourself like, you know, maybe working to create nanotechnology for medicine in the future? Nanotechnology, perhaps like my, I did an internship at Cosmos, actually at UC Irvine. And there we, we did uh, deal with nanoparticles, but mine, nanotechnology has such a vast array of subjects, like it can be applied anywhere. Mine was just applied to human diseases and, you know, epidemics. So perhaps I could see myself, <laughs> perhaps I could see myself going into nanotechnology, but because it's such a vital field, you know, but as of now, but as of now, I'm looking into other fields of medicine like gynecology well I think you'd be great at it and yeah I mean I have so much respect for you know people who go to med school I know it takes a long time but it's definitely worth it no exactly like a lot of time and effort and training is put into the like the each one of these nanoproducts is made with a team of people like uh many people would be surprised but nanoproducts can really be found everywhere like an increasing number of these products are entering the market including like nanoscale powders solutions and suspensions in addition to everyday devices containing nanomaterials in fact let me give an example nanoscale elements are used in items like cosmetics sunblock self-cleaning windows 
bicycles, automobiles, buildings, and and much more. I feel like a lot of people consider nanotechnology only in the context of nanomedicine, which is a useful, very, very useful as a medical tool, but it has such a plethora of other uses. I think so too. And like I said, it's just incredible, like the advances we're making. And um, I was reading that nanotechnology can also be used in like chemical engineering. So like um, that could lead to biological warfare. Hopefully it wouldn't, you know, go that far, but it can definitely be like utilized for a little more like unsavory purposes as well. Mm -hmm. That's where I was discussing like how nanotechnology, a lot of a lot of people are concerned with not only the side effects of using it, but like the the bioethics with it. Because that, the notion you just said is very, very scary. Um, right. Because if you think about it, nanotechnology, someone could make maybe a little machine and could just spy on you. You know, it's very, the premise is scary, but I feel like with enough regulations, we might be able to avoid something as horrible as bio-warfare. I think so, too. I have a lot of faith in what's to come for medicine. And thank you so much again. But that's it for this segment. Um, I'll see you next time talking to Kirthi about her um, affection for science fiction. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are. org. Be the lucky star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. 
Be the star you are. 501c3 Charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm Ruhani with Hannah, and we will be talking to Kirthi with her segment, Nerd Extraordinaire, and she'll be explaining the different types of science fiction she enjoys. Salutations. You thought you would miss me for an episode, eh? Well, you can't get rid of this node. Here I am in the third segment for the first time. You probably normally see me in the first segment, but I want to give you a little nerd and trainings a surprise. Salutations, my friend, for your favorite node extraordinaire is back. Hey, you ready to do Never gets old. Because cause I'm, I'm a nerd extraordinaire, and my segment's named Nerd Extraordinaire. Eh? Eh? I'm recycling bad jokes, sue me. In case you haven't figured it out already, my name is Kirti, and this is my segment, Nerd Extraordinaire, where I proliferate my eccentric intrigue with debate and fiction writing throughout the world. Okay, I should probably cut down on the fancy talk. British Kirti has gone on an impromptu vacation to Liechtenstein, because she's just awesome like that. Yeah, I sent her a text asking her how the weather was, and she just sent me back a picture of a castle. No caption, no nothing. Yep, just a castle. I sent her another text asking if she liked Liechtenstein. I got a picture of a pigeon in return. Again, devoid of any words. It's nice to see that she's missing me so much. Yeah, I bet she just wishes I was there. I know that I sure do. So, British trivia aside, I'm assuming a good chunk of you have heard a minute or two ago that my segment is about debate and fiction writing. You've probably had your brain stuffed with information about physics and molecules and doohickeys and gadgets and DNA and whatnot, and you're probably all like, what is this Insodo doing amongst us? I'm kind of wondering that too, to be honest. I, since I've been starving you of some fiction writing content, I've decided to make another episode about writing. Okay, so, but how is fiction writing related in any way to nanotechnology, or science even in general? Well, my friends, let me introduce you to the magnificence of science fiction, also known as sci-fi. Later, I'm going to tell you how you can hypothetically time travel through the Einstein-Rosen bridge, since time travel is such a big thing in science fiction. Like, when you think of science fiction, you think of time travel. Now, a real science fiction aficionado could not describe science fiction properly. That's the beauty of it. It kind of blends in fantasy and reality. 
It's loosely defined as fantasy with extraterrestrial, scientific, or futuristic elements in it. The funny thing is that time travel stories, or stories set in the future, are also included in this bubble of science fiction. There's no concrete definition, but you can tell when a book is science fiction or not. I have a lot of favorite science fiction authors. I predominantly read literary fiction, science fiction, and thrillers, which tell you a lot about the time periods my favorite stories were written in. I know, I like the old stuff, sorry. When it comes to science fiction writers, my favorites include Ray Bradbury, William Slater, Isaac Asimov, Jules Verne, and of course, George Orwell, who's technically a dystopian writer, so shush. All pretty classic science sci-fi writers. We're also all dead. Now, why would George Orwell be grouped with a writer like J- William Sleater? Sleater does the typical sci-fi stuff, you know, aliens in space and all those slimy things. But George Orwell is very political with his fictions. And most in his most famous book, 1984, is dystopian, which is a subgenre of sci-fi. But it is also political fiction. There are many subgenres of sci-fi. The first and the nerdiest is hard sci-fi, which exists purely in the realm of scientific possibility. That means that nothing that happens in the story is beyond the physical laws of the universe. This revolves around technology. Soft science fiction is the exact opposite, and not all sciencey aspects of the story are really possible or scientifically accurate. Think of it like this. Hard sci-fi is stuff like robots and space travel that can be explained by science. While soft sci-fi is stuff about humans living and traveling within a bunch of different planets, basically very space-slash-alien-focused. The most mainstream of famous sci-fi movies and books are considered soft sci-fi, including Star Wars and Star Trek. Notice how this is similar to the soft sciences and the hard sciences. Hard science deals with the things that can be measured, and hard science is normally what you think of as science, such as chemistry, biology, physics, yada yada yada. With natural sciences. The soft sciences are the things that can't be predicted or measured in a sure way. It kind of fluctuates. Ooh, another fancy word. We are on a roll today, people. Some of the soft sciences are psychology, sociology, political science, economics, yada yada yada. The soft sciences are generally harder, even though they seem easier, because the hard sciences are just facts written in stone. If we breathe oxygen, it is true that we breathe, breathe oxygen all the time, not like only sometimes we breathe oxygen. You know what? Let's rewind. Back to science fiction. Let's talk about more subgenres of science fiction. Now, this isn't scientifically proven, and no one says this except me, but I've separated, or categorized, if you will, the remaining subgenres into hard and soft science fiction. Think of them as sub-subgenres. First up, dystopian slash utopian. Dystopian fiction is set in the future, where society's freedoms are restricted. Basically, a really, really negative and violent insight into what the future might be. Some dystopian examples are 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, and of course, The Hunger Games. Notice how The Hunger Games is literally the only, only dystopian book I know that isn't considered a classic. And I haven't even read the whole series, which is a grand total of like three books. So utopian is basically the opposite of dystopian. It basically portrays a very perfect future. So dystopian stuff is very pessimistic and depressing, sometimes disturbing. So if you're looking for something happy, dystopian is not the way to go. But on the other hand, 
maybe utopian isn't either. I just realized that The Uglies would probably be a utopian book, since it's about the future where everyone goes and goes through a plastic surgery-esque procedure when they reach a certain age that makes them pretty. So no conflict or body shaming or insecurities or whatever. But on the other hand, it's kind of communist-ish, because everyone looks the same, so it's going a political way, so it's dystopian. Also, that would technically be considered bad, that the government forces you to get plastic surgery, lack of freedom and will and stuff like that. And But that's what well, I can go on for days like this. In case you haven't already deduced, I have a tendency to ramble. Back to science fiction once again. Since soft science fiction revolves around the soft sciences, dystopian and utopian fiction is soft sci-fi. Soft sciences include economics and political sciences, which is literally what dystopian and utopian stuff is all about. So, how do I end, end this sentence? Oh, I already did. Stop ending sentences, guilty. And you did it again. And again. And again. Blah. As you can deduce, I am one desert child. I feel like I'm making this unnecessarily long. That's kind of my thing, making stuff unnecessarily long. I feel like I should reduce my usage of the word stuff. I also feel like I should stop saying I feel like. Is it just me or does it feel like we need British shooty? Well, I need British Cupid. Harlem. Jeez, I really do ramble. GPS, could you please direct me back to the point? Anyway, our next subgenre is military science fiction. Military science fiction revolves around war or military conflict, and military sci-fi has strong themes about duty, honor, or heroism. While it does have shades of political science interwoven into it, military sci-fi would probably be called science fiction, because it doesn't have any supernatural slash sciencey element in it that involves politics. The only thing that it differentiates it from normally normal military fiction is the technology or era that it's set in. Think of military sci-fi as Armageddon kind of stuff, end of the world war kind of stuff. Most, most sci-fi is end of the world war, so don't be surprised if you realize that dystopian is like that too. Just don't think too much about the subgenres of science fiction or science fiction in general, because that is another popsicle stand. First I make up words, and now I'm making up my own sayings. If you think about it too much, it'll all seem the same, and you'll start to realize that fantasy and sci-fi are actually the same thing. Next, the space opera. I like to think of it as a supernatural soap opera. Space opera is normally set in, obviously, outer space, and the soap opera compares and kind of describes it. It has a lot of characters, there's drama, conflict, and there's themes surrounding war, politics, and rebellion. Star Wars is definitely space opera because it has a multitude of subplots and way too many characters. As you could also deduce from the information, space opera is soft because a lot of things that are scientifically impossible, like living in space without any oxygen, you know, the normal slimy alien kind of stuff. So Star Wars is definitely space opera, as I said before. And most of the things in Star Wars, it makes no sense, and the readers are expected to just pass it off as magic. Even if there is a logical explanation for it, it doesn't really make sense. Next up, steampunk. Steampunk is actually a large cultural movement that focuses on the inventiveness of, on the inventiveness of basically, it basically blends in the future and the past, the aesthetic of the 19th and early 20th centuries, and the basically it does the stuff that that futuristic technologies do. So it's fairly aesthetic. So some of my favorite steampunk books are The Anubis Gates by Tim Powell and Love Light. 
The next genre is time travel slash parallel worlds. Now, there's probably a more official and fancy name for this, but whatever it is, I don't know. This probably explains itself with the name, but characters in the subgenre of book travel on what is known as the einstein Rosen Bridge. Since I find it interesting, we're going to kick it out and see if it's really all that. So let's talk about science. Let's talk about how we can hypothetically travel through time. So we travel through wormholes or the Einstein-Rosen bridge. The Einstein-Rosen bridge is called a Schwarzschild wormhole, which is a prototype of a wormhole. A wormhole is, to say in simple words, a tunnel thingy in space that goes with Einstein's theory of relativity. So basically, basically it's like a weird tube thing with the floppy thingy at the top. So it's not really a bridge, but it links two different points in space-time, a four-dimensional speculative structure that combines the three dimensions of space and the one dimension of time. So it's thought to be a reflection of a fourth spatial dimension. In sci-fi, wormholes connect two different universes. Here's how a time machine would travel on one, hypothetically, of course. One end of the wormhole is pushed to some fraction of the speed of light and then brought back to its original place. Think of it as a slinky in reverse. So basically, you pull one side of the slinky and then it snaps back. It's like that, especially except you push instead of pull, and I couldn't find a good enough analogy for that. Another way to time travel with the machine, hypothetically, is to take one end of the wormhole and put it in the gravitational field of higher gravity than the entrance and return it back to its original place. Either push the slinky in or move the slinky into the gravitational field of higher gravity than that of the slinky? For both of these hypothetical time-traveling methods, time dilation causes the end of the slinky, sorry, wormhole, that's being moved to become younger than the stationary end, which means that if you enter through the stationary side, you'll be going back in time, or if you enter through the moving side, you'll be going into the future. Cool, right? Stay in school, kids, because science is cool. But, 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 this isn't really possible, because first of all, there's no evidence that wormholes even exist. All of this is purely theoretical from the minds of many brilliant dudes. Hold on, there really needs to be more female scientists. Even if we were sure that wormholes existed, we couldn't time travel because time connects differently through the wormhole and differently outside it, so that the time will always remain the same on outside and inside of the wormhole while going through it. Also, constructing a wormhole would require the existence of a substance with negative energy because the wormhole requires a distribution of energy that violates many energy conditions. Many physicists do believe that negative energy could be produced with quantum physics, but not really. People also argued that the mouths of a wormhole couldn't be moved in those ways without com collapsing it completely. Inter-universal travel was also theorized to be done through wormholes, and it was hypothesized that a particle could go into the future, but it was concluded that the particle would return into a different universe after a trip to the future. And even if it did return to a different universe, it's a particle, so it, it would, even for this tiny little particle, it would take so much energy to cause it to time travel. So imagine... a a whole human or a bunch of humans. That that's not that won't work. Ye. In the panel's diagram of the Schwarzschild black hole, a, an object traveling faster than light will emerge in another time, space, or universe. Now there's a whole whole another story about how Schwarzschild wormholes are included in the Schwarzschild metric, and about how you can travel in more ways to a parallel universe hypothetically, and about Einstein's theory of relativity, and about the Casimir effect. And I think I'm forgetting that this is a debate and fiction writing segment, and I. I accidentally turned this into a science segment. Oh, well, today's science day anyway. Sorry, I just got so caught up because it's so interesting. And yes, I can hear you all shouting nerd, but that's why my segment's called Nerd Extraordinaire, isn't it?
What a great segment, Kirthi. That was really, really interesting, especially with the wormholes and everything. Um, and you mentioned a plethora of science fiction books and science novels. So I wanted to ask, what are some of your personal favorite science fiction books? Well, there's an illustrated man, which isn't exactly a novel. It's a collection of short stories by Ray Bradbury. And I like it because it talks about the grotesque reality of technology and also a lot of psychology. There's House of Stairs, and I also like The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I kind of like The Phantom Limb by William Slater. I really like the idea and the plot, but the ending and kind of the sci-fi part is kind of bad. I actually love science fiction. I also really enjoy um, time travel fiction, you know, like shows like Doctor Who and stuff like that. So, And you also talked about like hard and soft science fiction. So is time travel fiction hard or soft science science fiction? It actually depends. It depends on what makes the character time travel or go to the another dimension. Let's take Doctor Strange for an example. He kind of goes into different dimensions, but it's not really scientific, is it? Well, that's from what I remember. I watched that movie a few years ago. He is a sorcerer. He's like he's like a wizard, like like the Harry Potter robotic and other magic wand waving wizard. So you wouldn't really consider Doctor Strange hard sci-fi. Because there are some things that are just explained with magic. Now, let's take a book that recites the journey of a bunch of characters traveling over the Einstein-Rosen Bridge with a time machine that has the power to bend wormholes. Then, that would be hard science fiction, while Doctor Strange is soft sci-fi, but both are time travel fiction. On the topic of hard and soft sci-fi, like Doctor Strange, um, I wanted to know, what's your favorite subgenre of sci-fi out of all of the different types of them. I think you guys can deduce from the lengthy explanation I gave you about how you can time travel scientifically that my favorite is time travel fiction. Wow, that's very, very interesting. And I hope you enjoyed our show today. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show. Um, as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, be the star you are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. Nanotechnology is here to help and here to stay. Um, always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars could shine between the lines if you would let yourself.